I've, um, in the last like four or five years, I have really leaned into just listening and trying to understand my, my impact, good and bad. And believe me, I just screw up all the time. And, you know, um, I've been just trying to be aware of it, you know, um, just trying to be aware of it. And all, again, meeting those conversations with an open heart as well, of really listening to people when they tell you something. And, um, and sometimes you have to go like, no, <laughs> I totally hear you. I, I understand you, but you're not seeing the big picture or you're not seeing this or that. But, but I've, I've really tried to live in sort of a, a gray area of, of listening and not being so certain. I think I was very certain way too many times in my career. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. Also excited to share with you that we are now a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and we are so looking forward to spreading the message, spreading the impact, spreading the leadership wisdom throughout the podcast network with Evergreen. Today we have a, I just got to say a wow, wow, wow guest. David Baldwin is with us coming to us from Raleigh, North Carolina. His company is called Baldwin and, and if you want to hear about values and building culture and purpose and what he calls using business as a force for good, you have come to the right place today. David has been living, living this and walking to talk of having clear values, clear purpose and why, and making a difference in business, not just focusing on making a profit. And as we'll share with you, what he's discovered, which we've all known for so long is when you get the people side right, and when you get the values right, and when you get the why right, and you live them consistently, you will grow, you will be profitable. But the, the profit is the outcome of the values in the culture not the focus. There's so many great ideas that David's going to share with you today about ways to lead and to build these really meaningful cultures. It will be a transformational experience for you and your leadership and your culture and your business. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back here today. I know we've got a fascinating guest. I had a chance to connect with David Baldwin probably two or three months ago. I know it was this summer. Uh, just had a wonderful conversation. It was sort of everything from A to Z. And you'll find out quickly what's coming when you just hear a little bit about David's background. It's funny, on his bio, he opens with lead guitar, uh, <laughs> which I love. So lead guitar um, he found a company called Baldwin Ann, and the symbol is Baldwin Ampersand. That's the name of the company. Right there, it tells you this is somebody who's got a unique way of seeing the world. So Baldwin Ann, David is one of the most awarded copywriters, creative directors, uh, working in the advertising business today. Uh, he's been named Small Business Agency of the Year twice uh, in his first five years by AdAge and the four A's. He's former chairman of the One Club in New York City, was an executive producer for an Emmy-winning film called Art and Copy, associate producer for an Emmy Peabody Award-winning film, The Loving Story. His advertising work has been recognized pretty much on every platform that exists, every show. Uh, not only does he have Baldwin and he co-founded a company called uh, Ponysaurus Brewing in Durham, North Carolina. He's the author of a bestseller called The Belief Economy, How to Give a Damn, Stop Selling, and Create Buy-In. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. this. Last year, in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy, David co-founded an organization called Take Your Seat, which is a company dedicating to getting more Black representation into the boardrooms of America. So welcome, David. Thanks. It's so good to be here. That's yeah, a, crazy, a crazy piece of paper. So I'm just going to start with, uh, give us a little bit of your background story, David. Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I knew very early on, I wanted to be a creative person and that I wanted to make a living on my wits. And, uh, 
And so I was a musician and also my mother was a, a media director at an ad agency when I was a kid. So I was, I grew up around advertising and I grew up wanting to be a musician. And so <clears throat> I ended up inverting the two and, and deciding that I was going to make a living at advertising and then have music just be fun. So, you know, <clears throat> after all of the sort of hoopla of everything, I'm at the end of the day, I'm just a copywriter. You know, I, I often joke that I'm the CEO and junior copywriter at Baldwin and, but Lead guitar is a, a lot of uh, the idea of lead guitar is a lot of what I I think I'm about, which is being part of a band. You know, a lot of a lot of companies say they're they're a family, and I go, nah, you can't really fire your dad. You know, like you, <laughs> you can't fire your family. We're we're not a family, but we are an organization, and we do. You know, I love the analogy of sort of a band, and and if either of you are musicians or have been in bands, you know that you rely on each other. Someone can't. Uh, outplay or overplay the other people you got to help y'all got to help carry the equipment and set up and tear down and it's a it's a very collaborative language-based uh, conversation that you're always trying to have as a musician and um, and I love that analogy in sort of building a company because um, you know it's every once in a while I step forward and take a guitar solo but I'm just one of the band I'm, I'm another member of the band and I you know I love that culturally, our culture is give a damn, which you can see over my shoulder. And um, that's just who we are, you know, and, and uh, that's where that's, you know, that's how I've treated everything as a, an opportunity to use sort of my craft to be creative and try to add something to the world versus subtract from it, you know. Love that analogy, David. I'm, I'm a drummer and I'm just learning to play guitar now. Yeah. And uh, I have played in bands, you know, as a drummer and it's, it is one of these things where you have the personality conflicts, you know, maybe behind the scenes and things like that. But when you come to play, when you get on stage and you're there, you're yeah. all together, you're all bought in. And, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the way it makes the, the performance work. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, there's this great joke about golf that I'll, I'll uh, put into guitar playing, which is <laughs> my favorite golf jokes is, you know, the difference between brain surgery and golf. You can learn brain surgery. I feel like I feel like, uh, I feel like guitar is the same way. It's a never-ending journey of oh shit, I can't do that. You know? <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. I mean, oh, know, it's the best. Make a sound. A same lifelong. thing with golf. Jeff and I enjoy playing golf too. A lifelong journey for sure. Yeah, that's right. So I'm I'm gonna start a little. For some people, would say out of order, but I like starting at the end or near the end. So when we first talked, one thing that struck me, David, you shared with me about take your seat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about that organization and where that all came from. Well, you know, after after the Brianna Taylor and, and George Floyd incidents, I I just for the for you know I'm I'm a pretty woke dude. I'm a pretty uh, left of center guy, but I I feel like I've always been a supporter and all that. But I really woke up white the next morning and went, yeah, okay, what what can I do? What how, what can I actually do in this thing as kind of a 50 plus year old dude, white guy who uh, has worked really hard for the things I've gotten, but realizes that there's a lot of privilege in there too. Mm, yeah. um, what can I do? And so my, my own people were like, Hey, we, we really want you to write a statement. You know, can you put a statement out? Everyone was putting out statements. And I was like, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I mean, right. you know, like what? Sure. So, but, but I ended up writing one and I wrote one for my own, I really wrote one for my own organizations, you know, and, um, and I, and I, and I believe it, but what I said in the statement was nobody wants to hear what we have to say. People want to hear, they want to see what we do yes. and what actions can we take. And so we, as a, on the advertising side, um, we said, look, let's treat it like a job. Like what, what, let's create a strategy and let's see all the things that we can do as an agency to affect change in our little corner of the, of the world. Like if everybody just tried to affect change for the better in their little corner of the world, like we'd have a better world. So, so we did a bunch of things. And <clears throat> one of them was we, we put some strategy behind defund the police, which is the worst marketing I've ever heard in my life. You know, it's just the, it's, it's a cudgel from which the people that, you know, don't believe in the movement want to like hit you on the head with. So we did some work there <clears throat> and, um, we uh one of the things that uh, I'm part of the the board of the one club, which is a it's kind of like the Oscar. Do you guys know what the one club is? No, it's it's kind of the Oscars of advertising. So the one club is think of it as the Academy and the one show is kind of the Oscars. That's one of the biggest shows, advertising shows in the world. 
And it's a very prestigious thing. And the, I've been on the board for 20 years. I was the chairman for five years. And then I got off and they asked me back on. And it's like being in the Senate. Like once you, you know, once you're voted in, you can't get voted out. You know? and so do you have a security force? Following yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so um, the CEO, Kevin Swanepoel, called me one day and just said, hey, man, look, um, did you know that if you resign your seat to make room for a black executive, it doesn't have to go through any of the sort of voting and nominating and all that stuff, which it, this person could have would have passed anyway. But but it's like you can just name your successor. And would you be willing to do that? And I said, hell yeah, I would be willing to do that. <laughs> and so I nominated um, a black executive named Sharina Florence, who is super talented. And she's the one of the creative directors at 72 and Sunny in New York. I've known her for a long time. She's just kick ass creative person. So now she's on the board. <clears throat> and I felt like, you know, I had just read how to be an anti-racist and just the, the, the idea kind of of don't just support, get out of the way and or make room and or create opportunities for, uh, for people. Yeah. And so that's, that's essentially what that was. And um, I kind of came back and said, that was so easy. That was such an easy way to, to sort of make change. And so I came back and I was saying to my, you know, Alexis Ohanian had just done something similar and he put a video out on Instagram saying, Hey, I'm doing this for my daughter. And I was like, well, I'm going to put a video out and I'm just going to challenge all my C-suite friends to do the same thing. And uh, one of my creative directors, Emily Watson said, why don't we use the hashtag take, take your seat. Hmm. And I was like, why don't we create a company called take your seat? And that's literally how it happened. And so (laughs) we, we incorporated it and, um, created a visual identity and started making plans for this kind of a strategy for how to get it out there and starting to, we figured, we thought we would start with the advertising community first. Um, but then I, I went to uh, some, uh, an ex-client of mine, John Replogle from, uh, he was my client at Burt's Bees and then he went seventh generation and we were uh, working with them a little bit, but John's a longtime friend and he's got a, a, a VC company here, a private equity company called One Better Ventures. And I went to him and I said, hey, this is what we're doing. Would you be interested in being a part of it or funding it? And he was like, you're not going to believe this, but we've been having the exact same conversation. <laughs> and so he, and so it was like, but you have a name and a logo, so let's go with yours. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so we we off we went and we started this organization called Take Your Seat. And the first thing we did was hired a black CEO, um, a woman named Jerusha Stewart, who's awesome. And what we're doing is converting it into a black owned and led company. So I'm trying to make what started out as all white, all white guys on a, on a zoom white squares into very small squares in the corner of the, of the screen, which is what we've been up to. And, and um, it's turned into a, it's a community of uh, really stellar black executives and allies that are trying to uh, change the makeup of the boardrooms of America to better reflect America. So. Nice. So, so David, one thing um, I would, I want to ask you about, because when we talked, you shared this with me that originally that idea had a different name in your head. Correct. Right. Which was take my seat. Exactly right. Can you talk about how that shifted? Because I think that's an important <laughs> no, I totally element. Agree. Yeah, I forgot about that. So <clears throat> yeah, the original hashtag was take my seat. That's right. So the original hashtag was take my seat. We incorporated as take my seat. And then as we were interacting with lots of black executives, they're like, can I, can I comment on the name? And I'm like, <laughs> sure. And they were like, that's a little bit white patronage. And it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's feeling a little bit, uh, you know, it feels, it feels a little patronizing. And so we changed the name. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for reminding me. Well, no, I think that's, that's a, important because to me, it, it, it spoke when you first told me that it spoke to the, the, the listening, yeah. yeah, listening versus trying to figure it out yourself. And I, that just really struck me as it's a little thing, but I guess in many cases that wouldn't have happened. Well, one, one of the things that I started every conversation with, I mean, every conversation with um, any black executive was, I, I want to start this off by saying I might be helping wrong, and I would like you to help me figure out how to not help wrong. That is a fantastic way to start a conversation. Hmm, I love that. I might be helping wrong. Yeah, because I, I was aware that we all have our blind spots, right? Yes, totally. So, and take my, seat, take my seat was one of the blind spots. So, and there have been many, and there have been many. So. It's been an amazing experience for that, but I I, I still say that all the time when I'm. Now, would you find that that when you do say that, their their eyes light up, or you know, there's a shift in the energy? Uh, I think yeah, probably more of a relief of okay, okay someone yeah. to your point, someone's going to actually listen. 
You yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, this has been one of the most amazing things about this entire journey has just been the learning. That's been the most amazing thing for me. I mean, it's been incredible. It's been an incredible learning journey. Yeah. So it's been a very interesting year and a half. Oh <laughs> boy, has it. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's funny. It's been incredibly productive. It's been a really productive two years for, for me. And, um, yeah. and I, you know, I, one of the things that I, this, I, it sounds horrible. It sounds so stupid, but I, I just always say to myself, try to meet, try to meet this moment with an open heart, like try to meet the moment with an open heart, you know? That's a great, and, um, and that's what I did very early on when we went into quarantine before any of the other stuff was going down. I was like, all right, this is super anxiety ridden, crazy time. Just meet it with an open heart and try to be a solution or be in service to someone, someone or something. That's it. You know? And that was the whole sort of orientation that I tried to put myself into every time I did anything. So, because, you know, we have clients at Baldwin and who are freaking out, you know? Like their business, they've they've got they've they've got businesses that they're running, and so we're there to help them with their business. So I called them all. I just said, like, "What can we do? What are we? How can we help? What are things that we will do things for nothing? Like, what do you need from us? You know?" Yeah. And um, I think it's just the only way to sort of be. But it t- turned into this really productive, amazing experience. Well, you've already highlighted a couple things we talk about regularly around leadership. You've talked about service, helping, and listening. Yeah. <laughs> and those seem, those get thrown around. But if yeah. you were to say generally, is that what we generally see in leadership? I would say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree 100 percent. I a lot of talk. I like to say when people say how many people work at your company, I go, well, I work for 25 people, you know, <laughs> so, because I kind of do. I mean, you really you really do. I mean, you're there to set vision and values and all that. But at the end of the day, you're there to help everybody. You know, you're there to help people succeed. So, well, and with take your super saying all this, but, uh, you well, know, but it's, it needs to be heard. And True. I love when you were talking about when you were starting, take your seat or even before that, and you did the state, the so-called statement. Yeah. The key part I heard in that was nobody cares what we say. They care what we do. Yeah. And that's such a simple shift. Yeah. But yeah. often ignored. Yeah. It was all, it's all about actions, man. It's all about actions. Everything is. Now, I do wonder in the in the conversation that you have when you say I may be helping wrong is is helping even the right word. I'm I'm just wondering if it's a great question. Is that demeaning at all? It's a great question. Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting well, I, thing to the interesting distinction. Well, and I think one of the things I've taken away from this is to do my best to pay attention to that question and understand I still probably don't know the right answer. Yeah. And that answer may change by different people. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That in this area, in this space, to me, it's not about a right answer, because there may never be a there's probably not a right answer in the narrow space. But on a macro yeah. level, there's a right answer of what do I believe in? What am I going to stand right. for? What am I going to put into action? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Great starting point. So you have there's so much here, David. You've had an interesting journey. I know we're going to talk a lot about Baldwin and and sure. the, the nature of building companies, but you've you co-founded this uh, a brewing company, yeah, Ponysaurus, yeah, which I think is just in the last few years, isn't it? Uh, 2013. Okay, so yeah. seven eight years ago. Talk yeah. about where that came from and how sure. your philosophies, <clears throat> like why that business, why that model. Well, it's it's really interesting because part part I have to go back to Baldwin and um, before I talk about Pony Source because we always said that thirty percent of our revenue was going to come from our own creations and our own clients, and so we went into starting the agency as creating our own IP that we would then uh, turn into revenue you know streams, and we failed spectacularly at, at some things, and we certainly have not turned it into thirty percent revenue into the agency. Uh, like we thought we would, but the, again, a total learning journey of um, what, what you will find if you look into the ad world is everyone kind of talks about this stuff. Like we create, we create brands, we create, you know, it's like, yeah, do you? Uh, <laughs> and also like what you find is a lot of them are sort of little house brands that, you know, there's a, you know, we, we make, we created this chocolate brand and you're like, it's just sold on the ninth floor, you know? And, um, and so um you know, ad, ad week, I think ad week or ad age about five years ago was doing stories on agencies with beers with brewer with, I thought with breweries. And so 
they asked us, they said, Hey, we hear you guys have a beer. And I was like, yeah, we do. You know? So they said, well, send us the info. And I sent pictures of the brewery and, you know, we have a 3000 barrel capacity brewery in Durham. And, and, and the reporter was like, Oh, you have a brewery. And I was like, well, yeah, isn't that what you asked? And she said, no, like, I'm talking to like a team at McCann that home brews and does prints the labels off at the printer. And I'm like, Oh no, this is a bre- <laughs> like, we're in three States. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, real company, it, it's a company. Yeah. It's a company. And, and one of the, again, talk about learning. One of the things that I learned was you've got to, you know, we incubated that out of the agency, but out of the agency is the most key thing in the world. Like we incubated it with a company in Durham called the cookery, which Craig, you might be aware of those guys. Yeah. Uh, but we co-own the, the brewery with them. And they did all the operations stuff and we did all the branding and design and all that. And, and um, you have to get it into its own thing. Cause if it just lives in the agency as like a little thing that doesn't make money, it's never going to get any attention paid to it, you know? So, but again, like when we started, so when we started the brewery, the, the three original founders uh, and I sat down and said, well, before, you know, before we make a drop of beer, what do we want to, what do we want this to be? And we decided that we wanted to build community, that we didn't want to just make beer. We want to build community. And that to this day is our belief system. Like that's so, our kind of belief. So. When you say you want to build community, are you talking about internally, externally, both? Yes, everything. So okay. the idea is how do you how do you build community? And you know, think about what what is at the essence of drinking beer. It's getting together with somebody. If you're drinking alone, I can't help you. It's sad. But if you're, if you're, uh, if you're getting together with people, it's about sharing experiences, stories, getting together, talking, understanding each other, creating empathy. That's what beer is. You know, beer is a, is a, is a way to bring people together. And so we thought like, all right, well, how do we create that experience in our building and our block, in our ward, in our district, in our city, in our state, in our country. And so the, everything we do is, is, designed around that everything it's all comes out of building community and again that is what we talk about is we don't just make beer we build community so like when uh hb2 happened you know hb2 the bathroom bill that happened uh, a few years ago when you have a statement that says hey we don't just make beer we build community you got to do something so when that happened we did a collaboration with at the time mystic brewing company and we created a beer called don't be mean to people that raise money for the lgbtq community um and it ended up turning into a fall festival It ended up turning in, you know, we, we did it in Charleston two years ago and then it didn't happen this year, last year because of COVID probably won't happen this year because of COVID. But um, it's, it's just amazing how, when you just put an idea into the universe and, and the, the universe tells you whether it's a good idea, you know? So we had this little sub brand that we created called don't be mean to people that's still raising money for LGBT, you know, kids. And we support a, um, a, a, a camp called, Chords, which is a camp for queer kids to go be around themselves, you know, with uh, with other like minded kids where they're not where they can feel safe. We've been supporting that for a, a long time. So, so it's chords a tie back to the musical side. No, it's it's with it's chords with a Q. Oh, so, yeah. But it's but it's a it's a it's a it's a camp for queer kids. It's it's awesome. And it hmm. supports them and helps them sort of be around them. You know, there are others like them so that they don't feel like others, you know, right. but, and some other things too, we've, we've, we raised money. We've raised like $90,000 for lots of different things. So, hmm. so, but again, it's, it's inevitable. You have to do that. If you have, if you're leading with your values and your, your values say that we're going to build community, then you got to support community no matter what it is. And the truth is we want to, we, we want to preach to the congregation, not just the choir. So that's, that's a conversation we're willing to have with anybody. And we want to drive that empathy for everybody. Like, you know, it's no secret that all you have to do is know somebody trans, for instance, and your opinion on trans people will change. It's when you don't know them or you don't have any sort of experience with them that you, you know, feel like they're other, you yeah. know? So, yeah. Well, David, I'm glad you brought that word into it because you, all you were doing was talking values without using it. Mm-hmm. And because you said, well, we had this idea, but I would say you had more than idea. You had an idea, but you had a clear why. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a commitment to walk the why. Yeah. Uh, and because I mean, I mean, I, I want to stand up and cheer because so many leaders, so many organizations talk about values, but it's like, it's your skeletal system. It's your, yeah. it's in the bones and in the blood of you and everything you do is what I'm hearing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really important to me. And it's really important to the people that I've hired. And because 
you hire them, they hold you accountable to it, you know, which is, I think, really important to like put yourself on the line and make them make them call you out when you don't, you know, which we all do. I mean, for well, sure. Not, not everybody's open to being called out. Yeah, I, I think more people are than maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so some considerable risk. Hmm, you know, it's right. hard to, it's you're, hard you're challenging to, my authority here. It's hard to cast aspersions. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I only know what I'm, what I'm sure. sort of pathologically stuck with, which is this. <laughs> this well, there's a phrase, there's a phrase you shared before we got on and even before we got this going, um, using business as a force for good. Yeah. Talk about that mindset and the ways that has infiltrated your businesses and your life. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, I feel like your values can be, I want to make a shitload of money and that's fine with me. Like, I, that's not my, I'm not saying I don't want to make money. I'm just saying that's fine. Like if you have that kind of uh, the, the silent ha hand of the markets will, you know, is the only thing that matters and profits and growth are the only thing that matters. That's, that's fine for you. That's not fine for me. That's not how I'm, I'm wired, but I don't, I'm not going to judge you for it. But that said, I think business has a, a real part to play in making things better for yes, the yes. world. And oh gosh, yes. we all have kids. You know, I always say, I said in my book, like, you know, when you walk in, when you walk in in the morning to whatever your job is, you don't stop being a human being. You know, <laughs> so, well, Jeff, he's talking our, our language here, but, yeah. it, but it's true, you know, and so people that work at companies that are doing evil things like that, I, you know, you gotta, you gotta look yourself in the, in the mirror, you know, you've got kids, you've got somebody that's promoting GMO, like things that are bad for the world. Like you've got kids, what are you doing? But that said, like, I, I, I'm part of the B Corp movement. We're a B Corp. Yeah. The agency's a B Corp. Take your seat as B Corp pending. Um, and do you guys know what B Corps are? Yep. I do. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah, you so, might want to explain it for guests or for, uh, yeah, B Corp, B Corps are literally like business as a force for good. So the idea of B Corp is you have to apply to this move. It's a movement and there's over almost 4,000 companies now, 3,700 companies or something that are B Corps, including like Denone is like, well, like big companies now are becoming B Corps and, and, um, Unilever has a bunch of brands within it that are, that are B Corps. But um, it, it is it is a way of sort of living in the world where you're you're trying to be additive and not subtractive and not living in a zero sum game. And so from an advertising and design standpoint, we're always um, the things that we do as a company and the kind of clients that we work with, we're always trying to bring that sort of solution to the world. But we also believe there's a tremendous amount of growth in it. And this is Michael Porter from the Harvard professor. Yeah. Michael Porter's idea of shared value which is that what business does is solves problems. And so why not have business solve these problems because business can do it at scale. And if it's a good idea, it'll happen like crazy and it'll happen overnight. Yeah. And then you don't also get into the whole issues of what happens with government funding and, and right. everything else that goes into it. Right. But and, I, and I, it all has its place. NGOs have their place and churches have their place and but business has its place. And this idea that business should just be focused on profits to me, I think is a sickness, you know? Yeah, I agree. So. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because there's, um, I'm writing, well, <laughs> it's in the process of editing, but my next book, I have a chapter on creating cultures of safety and psychological safety. Mm. And I go beyond that. And I think it's, crazy talk to most people. What I suggest is that organizations, businesses can not only create cultures where um, people's lives don't get worse at work, yeah. <laughs> they actually can be part of the solution to the mental, some of the mental health crisis. Yeah, yes. yeah I love that. That, that they, can, they can be, you know, if you look at people, they spend the majority of their waking hours working. Oh more, yeah. High, larger percentage of their waking hours are working and if that's just a neutral outcome to what their life is like, that just to me is a complete missed opportunity. Yes. Right. And uh, I think a lot of people have said, come on, Jeff, <laughs> it's going to solve the mental health crisis. So to put a ding in it, Yeah. put a yeah. ding in the universe. If we yeah. have people that care, or as <laughs> to your point, David, get, who give a damn, then we're going to actually make some changes. Yeah. And also it has a part to play, right? I mean, I think there's this, there's this, um, 
zero sum again, I'm going to use that phrase again of, well, it's not going to fix everything. So it's stupid. You know, it's like, what's his name at, uh, what's the, what's the place in Seattle, Dan, what's his name who at the, uh, payment, the payment company that get, made, uh, everybody, uh, got a $70,000 minimum salary. And he said, I will never make more than what X percent more than any employee. Oh, and he got mocked, roundly mocked and called a communist and all this stuff. Now, meanwhile, this is a guy who, own, who owns his own business, who's making a private business decision being called a communist, but yeah. which is the, the one of the most amazing things now is sort of those socialist uh, radical label that gets thrown around to people that are capitalists. It makes me laugh. But um, but, uh, you know, he, he built an organization that now is growing like crazy. Like he's he's grown. He's grown X, you know, five X since since that happened. and. His employees are super happy and, you know, it's, it's, uh, there, there have been a number of studies that have shown that if you're, if you create a meaningful culture and your values led and values driven, and you have a, your, your, your company is based on a purpose that you're, you outperform the market, uh, you outperform the market significantly. So, um, it's not, this is not theory anymore. So what would you say to the people who would say, you know, Dave, that sounds all good, but when I spend all that time and money developing my people or, you know, caring or giving back to the community, you know, I can't run a business that way. I'm just going to go out of business if I do that. I think they're missing that that will make their business more successful, right? Yeah. I mean, that's he's going to, again, I, you know, I, I, I do want to clarify one thing. I said, like, business shouldn't be just solely for profit. Business needs to be for profit in order to sustain the business. Right. So. I'm not saying you don't be profitable and I'm not saying don't, I'm a capitalist guy in advertising and I sell things for a living. I'm a, basically a salesman, you know, but, um, but I just think there's a way to do it. There's a way to go about it. You know, that's, that's, um, that's got a valence to it. That's not just greed, you know? So does that impact the clients that you choose to work with? It's big time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We just got approached by, I don't want to say who, cause it wouldn't yeah, be sure. nice, but, we just got approached by somebody who we just said, you know, F now, <laughs> no way. Yeah. And it was a lot of money. And, uh, and I'm not saying they would have given us the business, but they wanted us to compete for the business. And we were just like, I was just like, those people could write a $5 million check to me and hand it to me and I would tear it up in front of their face. So yeah, no way. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the leadership junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. Welcome back. So, David, how, how old's your agency? 11 years old. So, 11 years, and you're talking about this great story of values-based and purpose-driven but I also got to believe there's been obstacles to that. Oh yeah. Uh, so what are the, some of the obstacles you've faced at building that kind of business and having that culture? And what have you done to navigate those obstacles? Well, I don't think, I don't think those have been our obstacles. I think our obstacles have been more, we are not focused solely on growth and our industry doesn't recognize that as success. We're not solely focused on winning awards and our industry doesn't necessarily 
look at that as success. What we are trying to do is create a sustainable, awesome business that people love to work at and that does great work. And um, so we've been 25 people now for a long time. And it's a lot of the same 25 people, you know, and we're, we've got six open positions right now. We're looking, but, but we're, we have never been um, what I have no judgment on of, um, man, we got to grow. We got to get big. We got to turn into a hundred person agency and a 200 person. There's an old like saying back in the days. I think it was, I think it was back in the days when like Shiat Day was, was the king. And, and I think it was, it was Jay Shiat or Lee Klaus said, we're going to see how big we can get before we get bad. And I've never oh had, I just never had that desire. Like I would just much rather do the work that I want to do, get paid fairly for it, have a great life. You know, I also am a big fan of work-life balance, but I have a definition of work-life balance that I think is different than we, we've had people who have heard me talk about work-life balance and they'll send me an email and go like, yeah, I, I don't want to work either. And I'm like, that's not, what we're like. <laughs> you know, you, you're like, oh, you think we're a retirement community. We work really hard, you know, but to me, work-life balance is wherever you are, you are like wherever you are, be there hundred percent. Yeah. So when you're at home, be at home, when you're at work, be at work, when you're at work and you're not working, leave, you know? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like get, go enjoy your life. Like, but when you, you know, so we work late nights and we work, we do things, but we also, you know, we're the first per, per we're the first company to look at one of our employees who's been killing it and go like, take, take a couple of days off, man. You gotta go home, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're with your kids, be with your kids, like really be fully with your kids, you know, be with your wife. So it's your amazing what, what a gift that is. Yeah. So, uh, and my, my head of strategy, um, really schooled me to talk about listening. We were talking about, um, creating, um, creating an organization that respected like the working mothers. Mm. And um, this is like five years ago. And she said, no, working parents, it needs to be working parents because if you don't support both parents, it doesn't work for the working mother. Mm. If the working mother has this awesome support and the father doesn't, the working mother is equally as screwed in a different way, you know? Wow. And same with the father. Like, so we need to be for life, work-life balance for every, for, for everybody. You know, and I, I thought that was, uh, again, like just such a great lesson, you know? Yeah. So, David, I love your definition about be where you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious, as people come into your organization, do you talk to them about work-life balance and how do you actually explain it to them? Because I think the challenge is people want to put it in a box of this is exactly what it looks like. Like this is a work-life schedule. Yeah. People so think, how do you talk to people is- about it? Yeah, people think work-life balance is I come in at nine and I leave at five no matter what. <laughs> and that's that's not necessarily, I mean, I probably could be. Yeah. Um, you know, we just talk about that we're an organization that doesn't watch the clock. We don't, you know, we don't, we value output and accountability. That's what we talk about. So I don't know that we have the work-life balance conversation as an official work. I'd have to go look in my handbook, my employee handbook to see if it's in there in that way. But but we make it really clear that we're about accountability. And so I always say there's, there's, there really is only one unforgivable sin at the, at the agency. And that's not showing up. Like that's not showing up on time. That's not doing what you said you would do. Like if you don't have that integrity, you're just going to make it hard for everybody. So you're going to fail, you know, and, and once you make someone else's life hard, you're not respecting their work-life balance. You know, you're not expecting, you're not respecting what they're up to. And so we talk about it that way. Well, you've talked earlier, you used a great phrase. You talked about something where you had failed spectacularly. Yeah. I love that. So you're, you sound like a person who embraces failure as a learning opportunity. I, um, I, I'm weird in that I don't mind being nervous and, um, I don't, I've learned that the interesting things are always on the other side of like, Oh, that's scary. (laughs) Discomfort. Yeah. There's always something interesting on the other side and often success. And so we have this thing that we will say, my, my partner, Bob, who I originally started the company with would say like, lean into fear. Like you gotta, we'll be looking at ideas and the scary one, we're like, that scares the shit out of me. Let's talk about it, you know? <laughs> but that's, that's good, but safe. Like, let's talk about that one, you know? And then we'll off, go off and go off and try to, to do it. And it might be scary because there's no money. It might be scary because it's gonna be hard to pull off. It might be scary because it's got a cultural meaning to it or whatever. But 
Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable in that. And I have to sometimes remind myself that a lot of clients are not, Boy, you know, nice. and that's, that's been a big thing for me of like, we weren't trying to do this crazy thing. And they're like, you're going to ruin my life, you know? <laughs> uh, and so I've had to kind of learn there as well. Well, how have you done? That's a great point. How have you managed that in your leadership internally? Because I'm, I'm a person who's very comfortable with discomfort and chaos even. Yeah, yeah. And what I learned is that I was creating chaos for others <laughs> because of my normalcy of it. And yeah. so I needed to have more empathy, frankly, and see it from their side. So how have you done that in your leadership, especially at Baldwin Amp? I've, um, in the last like four or five years, I have really leaned into just listening and trying to understand my my impact, good and bad. And believe me, I just screw up all the time. And, you know, um, I've been just trying to be aware of it, you know, um, just trying to be aware of it. And all, again, meeting those conversations with an open heart as well of really listening to people when they tell you something. And, um, and sometimes you have to go like, no, <laughs> I totally hear you. I, I understand you, but you're not seeing the big picture or you're not seeing this or that. But, but I've, I've really tried to live in sort of a, a gray area of, of listening and not being so certain. I think I was very certain way too many times in my career, <laughs> super certain, you know, about things and then turned out to be wrong, you know? So, and I had all the evidence to back it up and, all, <laughs> and you end, again, you end up creating chaos, you know? So that's, that's an interesting one because I, I think it was just last week I did one of my, daily videos. And the suggestion was to actually assume that I'm wrong mm. in scenarios. Yeah. Not just be open to the possibility, but actually assume I'm wrong. That's really interesting. In order to see past the blind spots, even if I don't know what the blind spots are. Yeah. Uh, it feels radical, but the more I do it, it feels like it opens me up. Talk to about whatever's that, in front of me. How does that manifest itself for you? Like, how does that work? Um, it's just, it's sort of like a, a mental reminder I have to use. Typically, it's going to be for anything, anything where I start to feel the urge, like to be right, or to uh, convince or persuade, or to just say, I know what this is, or what it needs to be. I can sense that. And that's just I it's, it's a new muscle I'm exercising say, let's assume I'm wrong right now. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try. Oh, that. well, if I'm wrong. Yeah. Oh, I better look at I've got to look at this very differently. But yeah. if I assume I'm right, I'm not going to look at the whole thing. I just won't. For sure. Yeah. So. yeah. I think being right is one of the worst things I've experienced <laughs> in my entire career from both the payoff of it from other people and me, you know, and, and me doing it and just being right. Like, you know, you're right. You're right. And it's like, well, maybe you're not right. To your point. I mean, I, I, I definitely have dealt with a lot of employees who are superstars who think they're right and the analogy that i've used over and over again and it's probably wearing a little bit thin because i'm, I'm it's an old one now but i used to always say do you want to be terrell owens or do you want to be jerry rice you know uh, they're both great receivers they both have all the skills one of them tears locker locker rooms apart and the other wins championships you know <laughs> and why is that because it's all about terrell owens like terrell owens was always only about terrell owens that's all he cared about. He had a statue of himself when you walked in the house, supposedly. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so Jeff has one of those too, but you know, that's <laughs> probably it's small. It's in a snow, it's in a snow globe. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, I think it's a good analogy of like, are you about the, the sort of team and winning? Or are you about your right? You know, are you about, it's all about me. So. Well, I think the, the risk there of, of always being right or choose or wanting to be right is that we're playing the short game. We're, mm -hmm. we're playing to win versus playing for the long game where, where relationships matter and the culture around us matters. And yeah. Yeah. One of my, one of my biggest challenges um, that I've, that I've seen, and I've been, it's been pointed out to me many times, <laughs> my brain goes really fast. My brain moves fast. And so I'll make 10 leaps really quickly into a right. conclusion that uh, makes perfect sense to me, <laughs> you know? And, um, and I still do it. I mean, I really, my, my wife is like, how did you, what, you know, how did you get there? And I'll recount the steps and she'll go, oh my God, you know. So you're stepwise or intuitive or both? Uh, both. Okay. Both. I mean, it's just, you just make these, I just, my, my brain moves fast. 
my brain moves really yeah. fast. It's a, I, I'm a, I'm a big, I, I really think like our greatest strength is almost always our greatest weakness, right? <laughs> right. Almost always. Like I'm super nice. I'm a very nice person and I can be taken advantage of, you know, yeah. but I'm very nice. And it, and there's a payoff to that, you know, totally. Um, and, um, and I, I, my brain goes really fast. Like I'm really good at getting to things fast. That's awesome sometimes, but it's terrible sometimes. I mean, it's just, you know, all of those things, you know? So in, in that, you know, when your brain goes fast, sometimes you don't allow people to take the time to think through something. I, I had a coach that was coaching me while we were in one of our meetings and, you know, somebody said, Oh, what about this idea? I was like, no. <laughs> and Carol said, uh, Craig, you need to explain. We know, I know yeah. that you've already thought through all this stuff and you know yeah. what the answer is. Uh, okay. So this is why, you know, and, yeah. Yeah. and people need that. Um, but on the, on the flip side, if we don't have that, if we don't create that space, that time to do that, we can, we can yeah. just run over people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I'm hearing in what you're sharing, David, in all of this is how important as a person and as a leader, and I put them in that order intentionally, to work on yourself and work on your own awareness and work on something you snuck in there earlier, we didn't touch a lot about is paying attention to the impact you have on others. Yeah. Good impact and sometimes bad impact and being willing to listen to that, which is something Craig and I talk about a lot here. Um, it's... I, I think it's one of the, if I was to look at one or two or three gaps in leadership, that's probably one of the biggest ones, the yeah. absence of that attention yeah. to impact. Yeah. Well, and I, I think also, um, I, I, I am really good at reading sort of emotion and face. I'm fairly empathetic with people and I can let that can, that can have a negative toll as well, where mm. I know something's negatively affecting somebody, but I know the right thing to do is to, is to make it happen. and. And that, that's a, that's a real struggle for me. You know, if I see a look on your face, when I'm telling you to do something, I go, what, what, you know, like <laughs> I see that you're not happy with this, like talk to me about it, you know? And so that's good and bad because sometimes you just need stuff to get done, you know? So you've been, I, I want to go back to your people side. You've built, you focused on building a business on values. And I'm just going to guess that part of the challenge in that is getting the right people. And I'm going to guess you, made some great hires and you made some mistakes. Boy, oh boy. So what have you learned about getting <laughs> the right people when it comes to a values-based business? Um, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I'm, uh, I talked about being kind and very trusting too. One of the hardest things for me is, is, uh, is believing what people say sometimes. Uh, people interview as their best selves, right? And they interview as, we, we have a pretty strong uh, statement into the world of who we are and what we are. And so people will say they are that when they come in because they want the job. Uh, and so they'll tell you what you want to hear. And then they get in and you go, Oh my God, this, is <laughs> this person either doesn't understand what that means or they were lying to us, you know? And so, you know, and in advertising, you end up with um, some very big egos, you know? And so we've, the, 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 the joke that, I mean, it's a horrible joke, but the joke that I use with certain people, it's like, you know, how Ted Bundy would get you into the Volkswagen and then you went, there's no door handles. Like that has happened. <laughs> that has happened to us where like this charming person gets in and you're in the Volkswagen with them and you go, holy shit, there's no door handles, you know? Um, and so, um, yeah, I, we've made some, some doozies of a mistake. <laughs> One thing I will say is the culture will reject an asshole pretty fast. Yes. Like, you're just not allowed to be a prick at well, if, in the right culture. So in yours, it sounds like that's, that would be obvious. Yeah. yeah you get rejected like a baboon heart, you know, and, uh, and it's just, it's just not tolerated. And so um, people get kind of, people will get sort of called on it and then frozen out, you know, where there's suddenly they're not in meetings and they're like, why aren't I in meetings? And it's like, cause you're an asshole, you know, <laughs> they don't trust you. you're not accountable. You're not trusting your you know, choices. <laughs> and it's funny because the worst days of my career, are all letting people go. Yeah. Some of the best days of my career are letting assholes. <laughs> Honestly, like I, they, people go, wasn't that hard? I was like, it was so fucking easy to let that. <laughs> they were just wreaking havoc, you know, yeah. just wreaking havoc on the culture. So, so, so that point, David, I got to ask you this question. It's one I, I regularly ask companies that I'm talking to is at Baldwin and how hard or easy is it to get fired there? Pretty hard. It's pretty hard um, be, because I, 
we've we've had some people that it happened pretty easily but for the most part like if you're showing up and accountable and trying like we'll work 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 with you Mm. yeah and um we have this thing we call people first always and so we always say (laughs) what's the people first always solution here before we go to a pip before we go to you know you know you're out of here like what what are we doing that's not supporting this person what are we not doing that's that's creating problems and then you sometimes get to the you're like we've done everything we can do you know we've done everything we can do but i do want to feel like we've done everything we can do before we just pull the trigger on somebody and particularly when you're in raleigh you know (laughs) you're getting people to come from big markets that um they're really great people and you know just because they don't fit in it's not always their fault you know And uh, they're used to working in weird, political, crazy environments. And so suddenly they get dropped into this thing. They don't trust anybody. And, Uh, you know, so I think it's hard to get fired unless you are doing something um, immoral. If you're doing something immoral, you're out really fast. And we've had that. We've had that a couple of times. And that gets that gets solved quickly. Let's talk about the performance improvement plan. You you mentioned it and it sounds like it's a it's a bad thing. First of all, I think it's a great thing. Well, okay. So let's, let's talk about in the, in the case of poor performance, you have a performance improvement plan. How often do you see that that actually helps? Well, I would say it this way. We, we would try to have a conversation before that. Okay. That is, we don't want to go to this, but here's what we need. And here's what we see you doing. And here's, here's feedback from your uh, people. And we, we want to approach this with love and, and um, support because we believe in you you know, and, and, um, and we didn't hire anybody we didn't believe in, you know? And so um, before we get, I find that the PIP normally, when you talk to HR people, like that's a, how do I fire people? You do put them on a PIP so you can fire them, right? So that you can document their demise. And, and I, I, I understand that completely from a protecting the company standpoint, but before you get there, I think you need to try to have done everything you can do. And then when you do the PIP, I think it needs to be done in earnest. And honestly, that you really are hoping this person, you, you are hoping this person comes through and can change their thing. That's what you're hoping. You know, so if you're, if you're really talking about growth, growing your people, people first, always. Yeah. To me, it seems like everybody should have a PIP, you know, and hmm. it's not punitive. Yeah. It's, it's progressive. Interesting. That, yeah. that we should all be trying to improve in some way. And so I've worked for an organization that had that, you know, basically we had these big flip chart things with our goals every month. That's, that was our PIP. Everybody had that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think, the thing I wonder about that is that I'm a, I'm a big believer in the power of words and that words mean things. Yeah. I think first thing we need to do is get, I think we need to get rid (laughs) of the idea that it's a performance plan Mm -hmm. because performance is, to me, I see, like, I love what you said, David, about we want people to be accountable and focus on outputs. Well, that's an element of performance, yeah. but it's who they are as a person that creates that. Yeah. And so often it's all about just this performance piece. So you don't have the whole person in mind. Yeah. And I, I, that's why I was asking the question. I think that it sounds to me like the people that you work hard to keep are the ones that you can tell share your values. Totally. Right? Totally. But if they don't share your values, yeah. There's a short leash. Yeah. And that's a very small amount of people. Yeah. yeah. I will say, have you guys read The Art of Possibility by Ben Zander? Mm-mm. I so don't think highly, so. Highly recommend this book, but he has this, this concept called giving an A. And we did it at my last agency. And we've talked about, we've talked about it with employees before. Um, and we actually just rolled it out through Take Your Seat. But the idea of giving an A is um, Ben Zander tells a story of when he was, um, teaching at a conservatory. He's a, he's a classical, he's a conductor and he's teaching these classes. And he said, in particular, there are students that you can tell that if they don't get an A, they're going to be in trouble in such massive trouble with their families, with their culture that, um, that they, they can't get an A. They get so anxious about it and so nerve wracked and they, all they're doing is thinking about like, how do I get this A in order to, you know, it's about performative to get the, the grade. So what he does is he starts every class with everyone has an A. Everyone's got an A. You've got an A. Um, now what I want you to do is come back and tell me why you got the A. 
<laughs> tell, me why you, tell me why at the end of this semester you got the A. I want it now. And so these people would write their future. They basically write like, here's why wow. I get an A. Like I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to believe in this. I'm going to do that. And he's like, great, you got an A. You know, now don't lose your A. So I think there's something really, really interesting about it. It's a little academic. So, you know, it's, it's a hard, what's hard about that is putting that into some kind of um, HR approved, you know, system system where, you know, because a lot of people actually can't say why they were going to get an A, but, but I think the idea of it is like, look, you're already succeeded. We wouldn't have hired you if you hadn't succeeded. One of the things I tell junior kids, like to come out of school, we don't hire a lot of kids out of school. But I always go like, hey, listen, man, don't worry about being great right now. Just watch. Just watch what we do. Pick somebody who succeeds here and, and learn from them. See what they see, how they do stuff. We don't need you to hit a home run. If you do, it's going to be the most amazing coincidence and wonderful thing ever. But <laughs> just, just learn. Just learn stuff. You know, take the pressure of I have to be like the star in the first six months, you know, off of your plate. Like if you do that, that's great. So clearly you're not hiring people out of school, out of business school. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't hire a lot of people out of school anyway, but uh, we hire some, but we're, we're mostly senior people, which is, which by the way, is an economic decision and a, for a cultural decision that's been fantastic for us that a lot of <laughs> my compatriots don't do. They go hire a ton of kids for nothing and they run them ragged. And then that cycles in and out every three years. And I'm not saying that's not a valid way to do business. It's just not how we've done business. Mm-hmm. We've hired senior people that we feel like we you have a shorthand with senior people. You've got people who've seen everything. You know, they've seen the problems before. So, you know, that you're not having to explain, you're not having to explain the business to them. Like I, I really value that a lot. Well, I, one thing I love about that that um you've got an A is it just turns everything on its head. Right. And so often I feel like that's what's really needed as the solution. What does it look like to turn on its head? I think. As you were speaking, David, what I was thinking about is Seth Godin, who yep. goes on many rants um, to about education system. Mm. And one of his ideas was in, in college, he said on the first day, give everybody the final exam yeah, so they can learn it and they'll all ace it. Yeah. But then spend the whole time actually learning yeah. and exploring because you, if isn't the goal for them to learn this, if that's the goal, then let them learn it. Yeah. Right. And then just have it be an experience of learning. And ever, so many people resist that, say, well, wait a minute, we've got to have a way to measure people. Yeah. Why? Right. <laughs> like, why are we measuring people? Why are we comparing people? What's the point of that? Yeah. Uh, so I love especially that everyone, idea. Especially when everyone learns differently. So, yes. <laughs> so what I'm curious with of someone like you, David, um, are you a what's next guy? Like, do you know what's next? You got Baldwin and you, you're helping to launch. <laughs> take your seat. You've got the brewing company. Is there another what's next? There's a couple of what's next. Yeah. But I can't talk about them. <laughs> I'm meeting on Thursday on a what's next, but you it could kill me. You'd have to kill me, but I'm on zoom and that's, yeah, no, know no to this, I can tell you, but, uh, uh, I, I think one of the most feared sentences, uh, in my company is, Hey, you know, what would be cool. So I think whenever I say, <laughs> everybody goes, Oh no, you know, so uh, <laughs> now is that because then they're going to be responsible yeah. for carrying it out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, of, course. <laughs> of course. And it's like, okay, now we got to put some structure around this and try to figure it out. Yeah. But um, no, I'm kidding. I mean, but I do, I do that a lot. And then sometimes nothing happens or something gets in the way, but I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't even know if it's smart. I just go like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool. Like, what if we did this? Like, that would be kind of neat, you know? And then we, have people try to figure it out. I am not the best implementer in the world. I need people around me to implement. I'm I'm much more of a, you know, what would be cool kind of guy. I mean, I can write the shit out of advertising, but uh, I mean that I can do, but everything else I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an implementer that way. So I need doers around me that can help make things real. David, there's one other thing I want to highlight. You, you, you said this earlier, I say you kind of snuck it in and I want to make sure it wasn't missed. You said when you're looking at situations and problems, you actually ask as a group the question, what's the people first always solution? Yeah. And we've talked about this here a lot that to me, that's what it means living your values. It's not that you can in retrospect say it happens to fit our values. Those are the questions you ask. That's a, you're not, it's not a choice. It's not a choice. What's the, what is that solution? Right. Um, I think it's Bill Bernbach who said, and I might be misquoting, 
uh, or misattributing him, but a value is not a value until it costs you in the marketplace. <laughs> and so that's, that's how good. you know something's a value is when a company goes, no, we don't do that. And I'll tell you, man, when I used to work on, we had the Burt's Bees account for six years. And um, one of the most rewarding experiences of my career, because the people over there weren't hidden around. Yeah. They're just fan. All of them. I, every single one of them was fantastic. And they, you would be in a conference room and they would be talking about packaging and someone would go, well, you know what we could do, blah, 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 blah. And, and someone would go, that's not how Burt's Bees does it. We don't do it that way. That's, that's how, that's how, uh, that's how PNG wow. might do it. I'm making it up. That's how this guy's might do it. That's not what we do. <laughs> and, and I always said, I was walking, I would always walk out inspired going like they're having the conversations in the boardroom. You thought they were having that you want them to have. And they were, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I, I always love that. I just always love that. So, and that's a wildly successful company. I think that yeah, the, done great. the big thing is that people think you can't succeed by doing these things. And my argument would be, that's how you succeed. Like that is the way to succeed is to, fo it focuses your company. It focuses your people. It focuses your branding. It focuses your advertising. It focuses everything. And it's the, it's the, the, one of the best definitions of positioning, the notion of marketing positioning is the, it's the essence of sacrifice. It's sacrificing what you're not and getting more specific opens the world. It doesn't close it. Trying to be everything is, is actually the opposite. That's where you actually don't do anything. So. <laughs> I've told so many clients that. Yeah, Love it, yes, David. absolutely. This is so good. So rich, uh, just like I knew it would be. Uh, so appreciate your time and your ideas and your sharing, David. So we always want our guests to have a chance to highlight or promote something. What is that for you right now? I think one of my favorite things I'm doing right now is I actually started a podcast. I started a podcast called Brands in Action. And, um, nice. and I'm talking to marketing people about all this stuff. Like uh, we're talking about our definition of a brand at the agency is that it's um, a set of behaviors based on values. And some of those behaviors are advertising and design. <laughs> what most companies don't understand is it's everything. Like you can't just say we're about integrity and then go steal something over here. Like you actually need to be about integrity everywhere or else it's bullshit. Right. Yeah. And so when we talk to, when we talk to clients, that's how we talk about their brand. Like what kind of people do you hire? How do you di distribute? How do you formulate? Like all of those things need to be part of the brand experience. And if they're not, you need to make the brand that like the brand needs to reflect what it is. And so I've had some really fantastic guests and I'm just having a lot of fun doing it. And um, I've been meeting some just fantastic people, you know, I mean, that's one of the best things about, this is, I'm sure you guys can attest oh, yeah. meeting totally. fun people. So, so that's one of my things we're doing. Uh, take your seat. If you're a black executive or somebody who wants to live in allyship to black executives, please go to takeyourseat.co uh, and sign up and join the community because there's a lot of opportunities for everybody to help get involved and be a part of solutions. Um, and I, I'm, you know, we're, we're on a, we're on a real mission with that company and, and it's a, it's a very rewarding mission. So. And yeah. then if you like beer and you live in the triangle, uh, Tennessee <laughs> or South Carolina, look for Pony Source uh, beer. It's darn fine beer. <laughs> well, thank you for all that, David. David, what is the, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, you can send me an email at dbaldwin at baldwinand.com. Uh, that's the best way. I'm also, uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram, uh, David L. Baldwin on Instagram, which is all cocktails, by the way. I do all cocktail I've got a drinks. It's called drinkstagram. So <laughs> all I do is post cocktails on there, but uh, um, yeah, those are the best ways. And then I'm I'll on be following that immediately after the episode. <laughs> yeah, and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Right. If you like the cocktails, check out my Instagram. Uh -huh. So David, we always wrap up with a couple questions. Yeah. Uh, first one for you is what's that you've shared so much, so many wisdom bombs, what we call them, but what's that one piece of wisdom you want to offer leaders to close out? I think the most important thing is everything we just talked about and it's values. <laughs> if you find your values and lead by your values, whatever those are, it will attract the people you want. It'll attract the business you want. It'll attract the organization you want. And um, I'm shocked at how people don't do it. And I'm really even more shocked when people do it, how great it is. It's just amazing. <laughs> and I have so many examples in my life of people that are better at it than me that I, you know, that I pattern myself after that. I just love, I do want to say too, like, all of this is talking like I'm this amazing leader. I'm, I'm not great. I'm, a, you know, I'm just always me. Like, so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want anyone walking from this one. Like, wow, what a great leader, you know? So 
That's what I would say. <laughs> and, and the other question for you is one of our favorite, David. Tell us about that movie, movie scene or character that makes you think about great leadership. I think the best, the best movie on management ever done is 12 Angry Men. Oh, gosh. Oh, yes. And I'll tell so you why. Good. Because it's wow. not about being right. It's a guy, just watch that movie. Yeah. Um, yes, it's fiction, but it is so real and so applicable to life that you've got Gregory Peck in this jury room. Everybody thinks this kid's guilty. And all he does is ask questions. <laughs> he just asks questions for three days, two days, whatever, however long mm -hmm. it takes. He keeps asking questions until people re re kind of change their orientation around by going, huh? And suddenly <laughs> he's changed the entire jury's mind to being that it's innocent, but he never says I'm right. You're wrong. He always considers, well, yeah, maybe, but what about this? What about this? He just asks questions the whole time. And it's just very, very powerful. Hmm. I Great. love that. I love that movie. And I'm a yep. question guy. And yeah, he helps them see things differently just by asking questions. Chris yeah. Gregory Peck was amazing anyway. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, thank you for that, David. Thanks for all your time. And most important, thank you for the way that you are, are leading in your company and the things you're creating and with Take Your Seat. Uh, you're walking the talk, so you, you, you. you matter. You matter. And thank you for I appreciate that. being courageous in that way. That's uh, nice of you to say. I appreciate it. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.